0: Welcome back to End is the Future, a podcast that brings together great minds to address the opportunities and challenges of making businesses both sustainable and profitable. I am Ilham Kadri, and I'm delighted to be your host today. If you are as passionate about sustainable business as I am, let's explore how End is the Future together. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Bill George, who is one of the most renowned experts on leadership. He's the former chairman and CEO of Medtronic, and currently an executive fellow at Harvard Business School. In fact, I had the pleasure of attending his lectures at Harvard, and they were so inspiring. You probably know Bill as the author of the groundbreaking book, True North, as well as many other books on leadership. And has just published this newest book called True North Emerging Leaders Edition, which he co-authored with the millennial entrepreneur, Zach Clayton. I'm so excited to hear about this fabulous new book and his incredible leadership journey. Bill, I'm so thrilled. And thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Ilan, because you are my role model of a leader. (laughs) Uh, All the amazing things you've done before Solvay, the things you're doing there now, but uh, most important, your personal leadership. So it's a privilege to be with you because you're one of the people I really look up to and admire. By the way, just this morning, Fortune (laughs) out with its new 500 list. Finally, finally, I would say it's about time. We have uh, 11% of the Fortune 500 leaders are women, our CEO, female CEO. But interestingly enough, in the last two years, it's been, the new appointments have been ranging in the level of 25 to 30%. So I've often said we missed so much talent in the past by uh, having predominantly males. So good for you for providing this leadership.
0: Well, thank you, Bill. And I hope, you know, uh, our, the, 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 the few of us and, you know, that we're going to turn the anecdote into mainstream and thanks for leaders like you who promote, including in the classroom, right, the diversity of not only gender, but diversity of thoughts. So um, uh, I, I've heard you Bill tell a story about how when you were young, when you were young, you always wanted to be a leader, but had to learn a lot of big lessons on how to actually become one. Can you tell us about your upbringing? I'm I'm a curious, you know, person. I believe it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? He talks about this when I was with you in the classroom and what's made you so interested in leadership at such a young age?
1: Well, when I was 9 years old, my father pulled me aside and said, uh, "I failed to be son, I failed to become a leader." Now, I have to say my father who worked for Booz Allen. I thought he was a very good consultant, but he never took on leadership roles. So he says to me, I'd like you to take uh, become the leader I never became. And he even says to raise my side, son, you can be head of a major corporation, even named. <laughs> and i built stock in this company, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, since 1937. It's called the Coca-Cola Company. You could be head of that company. Or it's <laughs> wow. another great company in Cincinnati called Procter & Gamble or a new little computer company on the East Coast called... IBM. Anyway, I actually wound up working summer jobs for all three companies, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a heavy trip and just look at, I didn't even know where they got me for, but I get, I'm pushing my father away cause I was closer to my mother. But on the other hand, you know, subliminally I get these messages. So uh, I thought leadership was about building a resume, an impressive le resume, organizing all these things and never realized it's really about human relationships. And, uh, you know, so I, i never selected to lead anything. Finally ran for president senior class. And uh, when the boats came in, I ran against only one other person. I lost by margin at two to one. So it was pretty clear the kids in my school didn't see me as a leader because I wasn't. I went off to college, went to Georgia Tech to study engineering, ran for office six more times, lost all six. So now I'm 0 for 7, feeling like a real loser. And some <laughs> seniors put me aside and said, Bill, you have a lot of potential. But I can tell you the way you're going, no one's ever going to work with you, much less be led by you because you're moving so fast to get ahead that you never take time for other people.
0: Oh wow! And,
1: you know, they were right. And uh, so I had to really slow down, really build relationships, go back to some of the people that are rejecting me, do my own self-help leadership development program. And I was fortunate after that to lead some organizations. But it was a real message uh, for me.
0: Yeah, well, it's an amazing lesson. So slow, slow slow down, go slow to go fast, bring more people, more followership, right? But it all starts with our upbringing. And this is very common to all uh, my guests, right, in the podcast. And for anyone who hasn't been following your work, can you explain to our audience, Bill, what what is the true north, and how does one find it?
1: Well, your true north is the essence of who you are. And I think before you can go on an outer journey like you have, you have to go on an inner journey to figure out who you are. And you have to explore your life story, your difficult times, which we call crucibles, and understand your your desires, your motivations, uh, what's, what's causing you to want to take on leadership. As you know, leadership is very challenging. It's very difficult. But if you don't have, you know, you don't really know who you are. You're going to try to emulate somebody like Jack Welch. You know, you're going to try to be, uh, he was the all-powerful leader when I was CEO. And, you know, you got to try to be something different than you are. And then you're going to become cross as very uh, inauthentic. Uh, and so I think to be the authentic you. And for a long time, people felt like they had to be different than who they were. And I think now the essence is people just want to know who you are. Have you ever had a difficult time? Have you challenged? Of course, you know you have. And if you ever been discriminated against? you ever run into roadblocks? Of course you have. And so I think those things really become the essence before you can then go off on the outer journey and lead other people. And people that jump past that and try to oftentimes find themselves in difficult times in their 40s because they haven't done that kind of inner, inner sense of themselves.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, the authenticity, and I remember we, we discussed it a lot in your classroom, and you were one of the few and frankly, you were kind of pioneer because, as you said very well, bill we were groomed educated in in the Western world. I grew up in Africa, where you know we were we were very much more open about our vulnerabilities and mentoring is part of our social life. But indeed, in the Western world, you had to show the muscles, yes, I can do it, rather than bring your authentic or whole self at work, which sometimes, you know, doesn't make it very happy world to be in, including from the leadership point of view. And you were a kind of pioneer. You were one of the first leaders, uh, writers, um, you know, I- inspiring thought leader who really Start talking about this clear transformation in leadership and the inner you know side that's happening where it's no longer enough to just have charisma, big ego and focus on how much money you can make because the younger generation are not interested in that. they want to work for leaders who have purpose and companies that are doing something meaningful. When did you start noticing this now unmistakable trend, Ben?
1: Well, I would say I noticed in the 80s and the 90s as CEO, I felt it various with a lot of other CEOs because it was all about uh, charisma, big ego, you know, being the all powerful person on top, directing everyone to do and you're measured by how many people you had working for you, which is a total uh, <laughs> inaccuracy. And uh, so when I left Medtronic, you know, it's hard to write a book when you're there, but I always want to share my ideas with other people. So I wrote a book in 2000. Three, which was 20 years ago, called Authentic Leadership. And I said, Why can't we just be who we are? Be the person mm-hmm. we were called to be. Isn't our unique self pretty good? <laughs> in fact, great. And be that person. That's all people want from you. And a lot of people said, Gee, what's it mean? I think they were scared to be authentic. I think they were yeah. scared to show. I think you were born in Morocco, weren't you? Um, yeah, indeed. Yeah. And why wouldn't you share that with people? Yeah, but, yeah. The <laughs> if they do part of who you are, and uh, you know uh, you can't hide the fact you're a woman, you know, and born in a difference, you know, just something to be proud of, right? Not something to say, oh, you know, I'm trying to be like somebody else. And and I think uh, you know Oscar Wilde once said, just be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: and so I think that was the whole essence of that. And then later I got into writing the book True North about other people's experiences, but trying to to look at, say, you can. You know, and by the way, you don't have to be CEO. How many people do you have in pulvey? Yeah. You want every one of them to lead. If you, if, you know, if you are the only yeah. one and everyone else is sitting around just waiting for you to give orders, it's never going to work. You want Absolutely. them to, lead no matter where they are in the world. You want them to step up and lead now. So I think people got too much caught up with titles and how much money they were making, and the most the person making the most money is the most powerful. I, I, this is all nonsense to me and you can lead right where you are. Even people today, we've neglected, you know, I'm, I believe we've neglected the frontline people. Who are the people in your yeah. company doing the work? They're the ones that we need to really honor and value. These people you know, are working really hard. And by the way, a lot of them lead by example, or they train fellow colleagues. They set the standards. They're the culture carriers for your whole organization. And if they believe in the quality of the work, you can't force them to believe that, but if they believe in it, there'll be a, a standard for everyone else to follow.
0: So now that you've written this wonderful book um, called uh, True North, Emerging Leader Edition, uh, why did you feel that a new edition of True North was needed right now? Um, and and help, can you explain more for our audience what's, what's in there that was not in the True
1: North book? We're going through a massive transformation in leadership. You could simplistically say it's from the baby boomers to the emerging leaders that I define as uh, Gen X, uh, uh, millennials, and Gen Z. And yeah. it's all of those. So everyone uh, younger in their early fifties and are great role models. I include in the book from the baby boomers, but I think too much is an overall generation was too much about how much money you made. Who was the smartest person in the room? Came one time in your life in the consulting field where we kind of venerated the smartest person, but It's really not about that today. It's this change. of, I want to make a difference. You know, I want to really help people through my work. And I think the the emerging generations are really committed to that. And I think we need leaders that are sensitive to that. Uh, Does everyone in your organization feel included regardless of their race, their gender, the country they were born in, uh, sexual identity, religion? Uh, Or do they feel like I'm kind of separate from everyone else? I'm not really a part of this. If they don't feel included, you're not going to have a great organization. And they they come together not around how much money you made last year, but is there a deeper sense of purpose? Do we have clarity? That's the exact thing. And you, to your credit, went out and listened to what people had to say. That's really what it's all about because it's amazing. I spent a lot of, when I joined Medtronic, I spent a tremendous amount of time doing just listening to people. And listening to customers listening to first-line employees. And I learned so much uh, from them, you know, about what were the issues we had. And some of these things didn't get, frankly, filtered up to the top uh, through through reporting your statistics. That was important, but not nearly as important as what I learned by really talking to people, listening and watching and seeing with my own eyes how things were working. Uh, That was my great, uh, I think, the great thing that I really got out of it.
0: And you're right, I think, from generation of leaders to others. I have a, a Gen Z at home, no. my own kid. And, and it's interesting because they, and, and my CEO office, I have so many young people around me. Um, I practice reverse mentoring, which we discuss also in right. your classroom about how leaders like me, you know, at the end of the day, our role is to prepare the company for future leaders to replace us and, Take it to another level of prosperity, and I think you—you um, you, what I liked also in your book is that you are uh, featuring, and I really loved uh, stories of the authentic leaders um, and other stories than the ones I read before. Um, and 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 you say this, I think it's about having empathy, is about bringing the authentic self. Um, these people, they lead, as we call it at Solve, with their hearts and the minds. And that's what we call achieving the power of the end, A&D, uh, because they can be more effective business people and care for their people. So um, can you tell us uh, or tell our listeners about one or two of these great leaders, some stories, a few of your favorites, Billy?
1: Yeah, but by the way, I think you just nailed it. That's what leadership today is all about. To be a great leader today, you have to lead with mind, if you will. You have to understand critical thinking. You have to make, uh, you have to understand the numbers and you also have to make a difficult decisions. Uh, on the other hand, you also have to lead with the heart. Do you have passion for Sovay's work? Do you have compassion for the people you're yeah. serving? You know, if you don't do a good job serving your customers, where are you? And do you have empathy for the challenges people face? If you have an accident, you know. Are you concerned about accidents in one of your factories? I, I I'm sure you are. And, but yeah. we want everyone to be concerned, and it has to be worked just perfectly so we have a very safe environment and a healthy environment. And I think also you've shown it since you've been there tremendous courage to make the changes necessary that have to be made. And I found there's some really good managers out there that are not courageous. You know, they're they're frankly better managers. They're great at kind of sitting on top and understanding everything and running the numbers, but they really don't have the courage to make bold decisions. And today we live in such tumultuous times that you need to make bold decisions. One of the people who did that is uh, is uh, Indra Nui, was former CEO mm-hmm. of PepsiCo. Yeah, I feature yeah. her because she led through a crisis. Now, she didn't, She changed the mission. She gave it. PepsiCo never really had a purpose other than making soft drinks and and food. Uh, As <laughs> that? teased her once. I said, you know, high sugar drinks and high fat boots. But <laughs> uh, she put nutrition on the scale and said, this yeah. is real important and we need to make healthier products. And we're going to do that. We're going to have good for you or healthy for you products. And uh, then she got some criticism because they lost a couple of tens of a point in this soft drink business. And, uh, you know, and she had to make some adjustments from all of her shareholders. And then an activist investor came in, Nelson Pels, who, by the way, has gone into Unilever and other places, And uh, tried to break it up the company. And she said, no, this company matters. We're together. We're better together because people eat our products together. When we go to Walmart, we can leverage our business because we can bring things that Coca-Cola doesn't bring. We bring the full food as well as the the beverages. We have healthy beverages. And so she was way ahead of her time. And so this activist tried to take her over and break up the company. And uh, she strongly resisted. And she got her board to back her. And I thought she showed enormous courage during that. Been easier for her to go along. I'm sure they would have made a nice financial settlement. No, no. She had, she'll be always remembered for those two things, bringing nutrition to the company. And when the company was under great pressure that she stayed in there and built a great company. And I've worked with PepsiCo and I can tell you it's a great company today, but largely because Indra Nui kept it on the right track for the 21st century.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing story. And I look up at her as one of my role models as well. In the book, you, you talk a lot about I think you mentioned it, the crucibles and all the challenges that can shape you as a leader uh, and really make you rise to the occasion. And I think we can all relate to that in our history. And I think more and more the youth, the employees, the you know, the the, the student, they want to hear more about those. What well, what are those examples from the book? And and what were those crucibles for you as a leader, Bill?
1: Well, I uh, I faced a real crucible. I was uh, with Honeywell. I mentioned earlier my father wanted to be head of a major corporation, so I went with Honeywell. The three best years of my life were living in Brussels, Belgium, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) running Honeywell Middle East, uh, U.S., uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and I just loved it. Traveled all over, from Norway to uh, Cape Town. But really, and loved the experience and bringing together different nationalities. Before my predecessor had tried to impose American ways on Europeans, I knew that wasn't going to work. And so we brought all the Europeans into top level leadership the chairman of uh, of Germany and the general, the head of, of UK and, and France and Italy. And, and uh, you know, and, and this worked really well and building this up. And I loved the experience. Then I got called back to the 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 hit corporate headquarters, I uh, got a two-step promotion, worst promotion in my life because I found out I was dealing with huge bureaucracy and I they gave me all the turnarounds don't wanted to do. So I was on my third set of turnarounds when one day I woke up and I said, you know, this is really what I want to do. If I do become CEO and I was, you know, honestly, probably the leading candidate to become the next CEO because they've been giving me all these challenges just to prepare. Uh, I said, you know, it'll take seven years to get the company back where it was five years ago. And but I'm not feel I don't feel good about what I'm doing. And I also was kind of playing the game of trying to back with the same mistake I'd made when I was younger. Playing the game yeah. of like the man saying just the right thing, not being myself. And yeah. you where you're engineers, you don't show any passion, you don't show any commitment you know, and I really wanted to do that. And so that's when I made the decision to take a step back, go to a smaller company called Medtronic, mid-sized company. And it was the best decision of my professional life because it I felt like I was with a group of people that were really passionate about the mission of restoring people to full life and health, led by a clear set of values. And it was just a great 13 years I had there and <laughs> had the chance to lead the company. And of course, it's, as you may know, it's grown up now to be a pretty good-sized company, $32 billion in revenues and uh, over a hundred billion market cap. So it's, it's a large company today, but when I went there, it was kind of sized and didn't have a sophisticated global system that we, we had to p- create that and put that in. And, uh, but I, I love my time. And I think that's got kind of, for me, that crucible I had of being really unhappy at Honeywell, even though I was outwardly doing well, inwardly, I was not doing well, uh, cause I was just kind of like a duck out of water. And uh, I didn't love the business. And I found I really love Medtronic's business. So uh, uh, that was the best move I ever made. And it kind of led to all these things I've done uh, since then, teaching at Harvard and writing books and doing things as well. It gets some clarity about what's important for me. And maybe something else is important to someone else, but that was what was important to me.
0: Yeah, this is an amazing story. I love it. Uh, It's about starting with yourself, and you say say this in the book, the hardest person you will have to lead is yourself. Yeah. And you are you are giving us great lessons, including the not care about the size of the business. I mentor, and some of my mentees, I give them the same example where I moved from Europe to Middle East, and. Obviously, got smaller business, but it was, you know, so greater than the businesses I had before because I had to develop it. I was with people who shared the same vision, values, and purpose, and the engagements and the followership was there. So, and I like, I like also Bill, the parts in the book where you talk about these shift uh, from I to we, which we hear a lot of I, I, I. And, and I love that part. Uh, that, that, and you say that the true leaders must make those crucial shifts. Can you tell us more?
1: Great. I really think that, you know, people don't want to just work for you to aggrandize you and make you successful. They want to have a stake in the enterprise. And yeah. when you become a true leader and, you know, and as a true leader, you're leading other leaders and not just managing people. You have to make flip that switch and realize, no, it's all about us. And I'm really, people are there not to serve me. I'm really there to serve all the people and my customers and our shareholders and our investors. That's what my job is. And I'm really a servant leader. And so I have to flip that switch and realize it's not just about me getting ahead and people are not there just to make you get ahead. They want to have, they want to fulfill their own sense of purpose, their own sense of, they want to know they work for a company that matters. They want to be able to go home and tell their families, tell their friends, tell their colleagues, wow, we are doing so amazing things in our company. You may look at us one way, but no, you should see the things we're doing for people today, both outside you know, our customers and, and inside the company. You want to have that pride, and that's how you build a great company. And But if you, the leader, didn't make that shift, then everyone else could be out for themselves and be creating content frankly, a political uh, jungle. So I think yeah. we have to do that to, to build great organizations.
0: I love it. So servant leadership is something we, we talked a lot about it at Solve. And it's not about me and be frugal. The great leaders, they eat last. And the best for, probably gift you can give to our listeners and youngers this is exactly what I tell them, you know. Um, the, the high potential need to be tested in, you know, the most difficult, you know, uh, spaces, scopes, geographies. And when Dao appointed me, I remember in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, I think my Saudi pat- partners were thinking, what's this? They, they they are pushing a lady to, she cannot even mingle with men at that time. And I had to wear abaya, right? So, so and, and I took it... Um, thinking, wow, this is a great project. So I loved what I could see and Andrew Rivers and others believed in me that I could actually go through the challenge. And it was the best assignment in my career. It was not easy for wow. six months I struggled. Um, after the, the Saudi and Aramco you know, partners started to call me their sister and they started helping me. At that, that time, I knew I, I became a competitive advantage. But frankly, I came there and most of my Friends and mentors, actually, some of them say you are stupid. Don't do it. You are killing your career. And I said, look, I follow a bit my instincts, <laughs> but, but you're right. I think um, th- that's the true north and the north star, right, in a way. And 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 can you can you help us explain the difference between the true north yeah. and your north star, Belinda?
1: But that's a wonderful story about you're going to Saudi Arabia. And, uh, again, I encourage you to pick out who are the emerging leaders in your organization. Yeah. They yeah. probably don't report to you, probably a level down, level two down and giving them those an opportunity. Yeah. I think one of the forms we'll come back to diversity later, but one of the forms of diversity we don't have is age diversity in organization. Yeah. And I, you mentioned reverse mentoring. I think we really need to listen to the voices of people who are very different than we are and get their experience to understand their passions. So, uh, Okay, so back, back to your question. Like,
0: yeah, true north and yeah. north star. And
1: so your What's true it? north is who you are, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I, and then, but your north star is that constant point in the sky. I chose it shows it because there's always a north star that's available to everyone. You can see the north star, and that is a constant point in the sky. That's the purpose of your leadership. So for me... Uh, you know, I'd like to think of myself who I am as I'm a value centered person who tries to stay true to what I believe and centered in my beliefs. My North star, if you will, is enabling other people to reach their full potential. So if I could just say one little bit on this podcast that maybe caught somebody who was listening, uh, that it really inspired them to go to, to realize their full potential. Uh, and that's, that's my goal. And that would make the whole time with you worthwhile because I think that's really, that's what I do. I here, Interestingly enough, I've never had a job where I knew as much about the work, the business as the people who work for me. And so they, what did I bring to them? You know, I was never the super expert. I couldn't design it at at Medtronic. I was never the expert at Honeywell. and Harvard, I'm not an expert academic. The only thing I can do is to try to work with other people to enable them as leaders, to step up and realize their full potential. And sometimes that means seeing gifts they have that maybe they're too modest or they don't see in themselves and having to pull that out of them and like giving them opportunities to say, you really have those opportunities. Maybe Saudi Arabia has had an opportunity for you uh, that it pulled things out of you that you didn't even know were there. So for uh, yeah. me, that's, uh, that's what I want to do. That's my North Star. And that's the difference between true North, which is who you are, and your North Star is is really uh, what what you're going to do and your purpose.
0: It's beautifully said. Um, talking about you know politics, social issues, the the macros, right? And geopolitics are are becoming very challenging. And I believe that's my you know my CEO role. I mean, I was a CEO in the US with the company Diversity, and I met you in between my two roles. But since four years, five years, I feel that the job also is changing a lot. Um, And a lot of business leaders and peers today wonder how involved they should be, they can be, um, in political and social issues because it's blurring, right? It's coming to our homes, in our uh, companies, with our partners. In your opinion, when should business leaders take a stand on these issues, Bill? I think
1: uh, that's a great question. And let me just say, being a CEO today is much tougher than when I was CEO. Your job is much tougher than I ever had because society has expectations for CEOs, not just about your earnings per share uh, and your financial reporting. They have expectations for you to make a real contribution to society. Now, in Europe, it's always been much more that way than in the United States. Uh, So I but, you know, I think it comes down to what are the mission and values or what's the purpose and values uh, of sulfate. And when you have something that's grounded in that, then I think you need to take a stand. Right now, there's big pushback in the U.S. against, there was this big ESG movement, environmental, social, and governance. Mm -hmm. And now there's a big pushback against it. And I was with a company that does Ecolab that did for two days last week, does tremendous amount for the environment, you know, and trying to deal with water issues and energy issues and cleanliness issues. And they were saying they're getting a lot of pushback. I said, no, that's who you are you know, uh, are you getting pushed back to the things that SOVE is doing that are really good things? Hang in there, do it. But, you know, there are other issues. Maybe this may take a little risk, but having lived in Brussels, you don't necessarily want to get into the political disputes between the world <laughs> and <laughs> the flam <laughs> No, really. I mean, it, that's no. not. You know, it's, you're not the one to try to adjudicate those agreements. You want to respect both because you have employees that are, are both, you know? And, uh, and so... But I think it's important when when a values issues come up, when an issue that reads mm. on your purpose. If it's a healthcare issue, Medtronic has to be there. Medtronic has to step up to that issue. Uh Paul Oman at Unilever had to step up to the sustainability issues. Once he put his stake in the ground uh behind that, then he can't back off. So that's that's when I think you step up and uh they you know, we get an Particularly in the U.S. now, there's this huge political back and forth, and it's very unhealthy, I will say. And I think the reason people are looking to you to step up because they see that business has potential to really make a difference, to really impact things in a very positive way.
0: Yeah. no, it's 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 so important, and I know you do a lot in your personal life life as well. You and your wife started the George Family Foundation back in the 90s, the rise, right, and which has given away uh, more than $70 million, mostly in ha- in health and well-being. Uh, I must have been so important for you, right, Bill, to, to give back. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, you know, you kind of come into this world with nothing, and you leave with nothing. And the idea that you can, as I try to tell wealthy people who aren't giving any money away, they're a lot wealthier than I am, you can't take it with you. And <laughs> what do you what mark are you gonna leave on this earth? And people will remember those much more than how much money you're worth, how many people you mm. commanded, what your title was, any of those things. They'll remember what you did for other people. So I my wife is very passionate about looking at the whole person in healthcare. And in other words, don't look at me as a body part. She had breast cancer and had breast surgery. Wow. Don't look wow. at me as a body part. Look at me. I wanna be a whole person, mind, body, yeah. and spirit. And so we're trying to bring this more to transform healthcare. My goal closely associated with my teaching is we're trying to transform leadership. We're looking to get get behind leaders, nonprofit leaders and leaders in other walks of life who are really making a difference in the world and then fund them and look for young people coming up with great potential. Maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity to go to the school they went or to get through it because they don't have the financial wherewithal to give them those opportunities. And so we're doing a lot in leadership. We're also working a lot with uh, developing youths and also with the environment because I think all these things come together where we're trying to make, get behind athletic leaders who are whole in mind, body, spirit, and community. So that's been, thank you for asking, but we just had a board meeting on Saturday. So it's very top of mind, very exciting to say, how can we give it away? You know, and yeah. uh, I, I admire People like I say have a lot more money than I do. They are like Bill Gates, yeah. uh, Bloomberg, giving away Warren Buffett now, giving away. They've done very well financially, but they're going to give it away. So uh, yeah. why not?
0: And I want to celebrate uh, your your wife uh, Penny. It's it's great yep. to to hear that they are behind the you know great, successful, inspiring yep. leaders like you. There are invisible heroes and great spouses and your wife not only you say this and thank you for sharing she's a breast cancer survivor but an advocate for this healthcare for everyone holistic healthcare right. for everyone so thanks to you both I think it's so you are so inspiring we look up at you and we want to do exactly the same so to finish with a um, few advices to our listeners the youth from Solvay and beyond to become you know great leaders today or tomorrow. Uh, And the second, what do you enjoy doing beyond being a teacher, uh, you know, a great leader? What's your true North Star? Uh I'm going to throw our
1: third one in because I learned a lot from you. We were at a board meeting. I think it was A.O. Smith. Yes. And asked me to come in. And we were talking about how important it is to have a diverse team around you. And you used a story, I believe it was at Bain, where you were at one time one of the top eight yeah. people in the company. And you said we did these stories. We came from very diverse backgrounds, but we all had the same point of view. And I learned that, you know, diversity really is about feeling a sense of inclusion where it's not about diversity. It's not, you know, just having all the check the box, so to speak, that people like. Yeah. But it's feeling that I feel I belong here at Sovay. I really feel included and my opinion is respected so that you can have people with diverse sets of opinion. That was your point was how important that is. And I've carried that out to all of my work. And I think every leader needs to ask their people. I don't care what level that you are, get the diverse set of opinions and have people around you who you will challenge you. I certainly want to give your leaders advice, you know, have truth tellers around that say, Bill, you're going the wrong way, you know, or you just dominated this meeting and didn't give people a chance or whatever it is. Have those truth tellers that will tell you the truth. And I'm sure you want these people on your team too, because everyone just sits there and applauds and say, what a great leader you are. You, you may be walking off the cliff together. And so you need to see that you have people around you. So you build a diverse team. And then, you know, I see today you're much more of a coach than you are a manager and a coach hears about your people and who challenges them to do better. And, uh, you know, and sets high goals that brings them together on a common mission and values. And if you can do that, you'll be a great leader and you'll have plenty of good managers working for you. But the leader is the one that really makes the difference, that can set a high goal, bring people together to achieve that goal and uh, and then you can celebrate. So it's not just those of us on top getting all the rewards. So think about I think if we could spend more time as leaders with the front line. When I was at Medtronic, I saw between seven hundred and a thousand procedures. Where I actually meet the doctor about six thirty in the morning, go to his locker, put on the greens, go in, and watch a procedure. I wasn't selling anyone anything, but I was really learning and listening about how things work uh, in my business and seeing how it translated out to the customer and what problems the customer have. Sometimes they're they're seemingly trivial to people back at headquarters, but they're really important to that customer. So I think that learning and understanding, right? go to lunch and sit down and have a, a group uh, with a group of factory workers and say, hey, how's the quality of the day? And they say, oh, Mr. George, the machines here are not working well. We can't get the quality we need. You know, that passion that people have, and I think that's the advice I would give to people. And uh, so what do I do for fun? Uh, yeah. uh, I, I went Zermatt skiing this winter. Yeah. I ski in, in Europe. And in, in the United States, a lot we have a second home out in Colorado. But I yeah. went with we a Swiss colleague. We went skiing in Switzerland. It was great fun to be back. It's where I've been there several times. I love to yeah. travel. Uh, coming back to Europe this fall, it was I haven't been to Belgium or Paris in several years because of COVID, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I love to climb mountains out in Colorado. We climb uh, 14,000 foot peaks, which is uh, what is that 40, 44, 4500 meters. Yeah. Uh, and wow. that's uh, great fun. And uh, so th- my hobbies are kind of different, but I believe at a certain point in time, you have to really stay physically active and, yeah. and, it, it, you know, clear, and clear your head, be mentally sharp at the same time. And then I love to mentor people. Uh, that's what I do. So I've got a lot of people at all ages that I'm mentoring, trying to help them along the way. And that's part of fulfilling my own purpose of uh, trying to help people reach their full potential. And so I'd love to do that because uh, that's, I think, something I can can bring to that, uh, you know, a little wisdom of the years.
0: Wow. Well, thank you. So you're saying take care of yourself, right, to, yeah. to ensure that you stay in shape, to take care of others. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for this fascinating conversation, truly inspiring, like day one. I think I met you indeed. First time was at A.O. Smith's. Um, where I sit in the board and, and I was so inspired that I want to be, um, at that time, I knew I wanted to be in the class
1: <laughs> with
0: you and you are such a great example of leadership, uh, but of this wisdom, you know, teaching, uh, sharing the wisdom, transmitting, and you said it's a coach who achieved that power of the end and I'm so glad to have you today and you you motivated and you will continue motivating so many others to follow in your footsteps and become both effective business people, but also and empathetic leaders, and that's okay. So thank you so much, Bill, for your generosity and wisdom.
1: Well, thank you for the privilege of being with you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information or to listen to other episodes, visit our website. And if you like these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, be safe.